Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. Besides my close friends, I really didn't get invited to a lot of birthday parties. But occasionally, one of my mother's connections, a friend of hers, would insist that I go to her son's birthday party. These were usually people I knew from school, but I didn't hang out with them and didn't expect to go to their birthday party. In the summer of 1985, I was invited to a movie birthday party, and this was the first movie birthday party I had ever gone to. The movie we were going to see was Disney's newest animated feature, The Black Cauldron. There was two cars full of kids, and this was a different time period because we got to the movies and the parents dropped us off. They bought the tickets, gave us some money for popcorn, and just let us go in. And they were going to go next door to a restaurant, have some food, probably have a couple of drinks, and then come and pick us up. This was completely normal behavior at the time. It might seem a little odd now, but as kids, it was a lot of fun because suddenly we were in charge. The monkeys controlled the monkey house. We went inside, I was very excited. While other people bought soda and popcorn, I bought myself just some milk duds and then used the rest of the money to play some video games. As a Disney fan, I was very excited to see The Black Cauldron. So about 10 minutes before the movie started, I started milling about in front of The Black Cauldron movie theater entrance and I noticed that I couldn't find any of the kids that I had come to the movies with and I figured that they must be in the movies already. I wasn't sure, so I took another lap around the movie theater. I might have paused to watch someone play a couple of video games, but by the time I got into the theater, it was dark. I tried looking around. I didn't see anybody in there that I recognized. I figured, well, okay, I lost them. I don't really know these people all that well anyway. What I'll do is just sit here on the end of the aisle and watch the movie. I watched the movie. I enjoyed it a great deal. The movie ended. The doors opened in the back, and I got up and started looking around. I realized that the kids that I had come to the movies weren't even there, which was a real head-scratcher to me. I went out of the theater and started looking around in the lobby. I couldn't find them. I panicked a little at this point. I thought maybe I was left here, and I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to get home. This was a new movie theater that they had opened, and it was a bit of a trek across a highway to get there. So I'm hanging out in the lobby. I go to the front, and I see this guy's parents waiting outside with their friends. They had come out of the restaurant. They saw me, and they gave me this look like, where is everybody? I just sort of shrugged my shoulders and went outside to meet them. They said, well, where is everybody? Are they still in the movies? I said, I don't know. At this point in my kid brain, a certain awareness dawned on me that maybe they had never come into the Black Cauldron, but instead had gone to see another movie. I didn't want to be a rat, so I said, I got separated from them. That's all I said. Five minutes more passed, and the mother started to panic. She demanded to go into the theater. They let her in to go look for her kid. And she found her kid and the rest of the kids in Rambo First Blood Part 2, which was also playing at the same time. Me not being a part of their core group, I was not informed of this. I also didn't tell on them, but they thought I did. It was an icy cold ride back to their house, and I was supposed to stay there for cake, presents, and games, but I hightailed it out. 
I was very happy that I did not have to go to school the next day to deal with these kids, it being the summer, and by the time the school year started, the memory of the party had gone away. I can't imagine what I would have had to go through had this been during the school year and people would have seen me as the person who ratted them out to their parents. The logic of kids is stupid. They went to a movie that started after the Black Cauldron had kind of snuck in. Without even thinking, their parents knew what time they were going to pick them up. Personally, I'm very happy I got to see the Black Cauldron in the theater, despite the weirdness of the birthday party. So on today's show, we're going to talk about that movie. We're going to talk about the books that the movie is based on. We'll talk a little bit about the confused release and production of the film. We'll talk a little bit about the actors and characters of the film. We'll talk a little bit about the plot, the music, and of course, where you can find the Black Cauldron today. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. the Black Cauldron was a Disney film. It was a book by Lloyd Alexander and is part of the Chronicles of Prydain. The Chronicles are a five-book series for children, although adults enjoy them as well, and it started publishing in 1964 and finished publishing in 1968. The second book in the series, The Black Cauldron, earned a Newbery honor in 1966, and the last book in the series won a Newbery medal in 1969. In 1971, Walt Disney Studios purchased the screen rights to the Chronicles of Prydain, and at that point, they made a lot of aborted attempts to get the film going, and several of Disney's nine old men, the original core animators from the golden age of Disney animation, took stabs at making this into a movie reality, and even animator-director Don Bluth made a couple of attempts. When we talk about the release of the film, I'll talk a little bit more about how the author of the books, Lloyd Alexander, felt about the movies. First, a little bit about The Black Cauldron in production. They start making this film at a very important time in technological history because computers and other devices are taking animation to different levels. And The Black Cauldron, which would use computer-generated imagery for at least three components, the cauldron itself a boat in the movie, and the animation for Bubbles. This is very early, so that in itself is pretty groundbreaking. They were thinking big numbers here, and that this was going to be a big film, and maybe could even have sequels. So this film was the first movie to be filmed in widescreen since Sleeping Beauty. While you would see Disney films that looked widescreen, what they usually did was they would mat the top and bottom of the film image to make it look like a widescreen film. It also has another honor because it was filmed in widescreen. It is the last film to be made in Super Technorama 70, which is a 70 millimeter widescreen system. The film started in the 70s. In actual production time, it took five years to make The Black Cauldron and would cost over $25 million. 
the subject matter of the Black Cauldron is dark, and the film was flirting with a PG-13 rating at the time, which would have been unheard of for a Disney film. In fact, it would be the first Disney animated feature to receive a PG rating, and Disney didn't even want that. Well, namely, Jeffrey Katzenberg did not want that, and he had just come on board to work at Disney, saw a cut of The Black Cauldron, and thought, wow, this thing is way too dark, and said he wanted it re-edited to remove some of the darker features. And we're talking about scenes of people getting killed, generally. I wouldn't say graphically, but showing violent death is, I want to say, pretty unusual for a Disney animated feature. So Katzenberg wants this recut. Producer Joe Hale said, no way, this movie stays as it is. Katzenberg responded by having the film brought to an editing room and threatening to edit the film himself. Disney CEO Michael Eisner stepped in and went to the editing room and convinced Katzenberg to stop although it seemed like it was pretty heated, and Katzenberg insisted that Eisner have the film reworked. So the film was delayed from its original Christmas 1984 release and instead came out in the summer of 85, in July. Ultimately, 12 minutes would be cut from the movie, and the scenes that were edited included scenes of the characters of the Fair Folk and some violent death scenes. Because of this, some scenes had to be rewritten and actually reanimated to have the film make sense. Fun little fact about the production of the film, Tim Burton, the director of movies like Beetlejuice and the original Batman, worked as a conceptual artist on the film. And there's a character called the Horn King, and we'll talk a little bit about the Horn King in a couple of minutes. He's the villain of the film, and he wanted to create minions of the Horn King that would have been really terrifying, and I've heard that they would be akin to the facehuggers from the movie Aliens, which I imagine would have pushed the film up there on the PG rating. Maybe PG-13, maybe we're talking about a rated R film. If you want to see some of his work, there's a release of The Black Cauldron from 2000, and some of his work is featured on the DVD as an extra. While making The Black Cauldron, when he had a little bit of time for himself, Tim Burton would work on sketches that would become the basis for The Nightmare Before Christmas. Today's show is brought to you by your local garden shop. Do you have a yard? Why not put a garden in it? garden shops. So I want to talk a little bit about scenes from earlier Disney films that would be recycled, basically the animation repurposed for The Black Cauldron, but I think I should talk a little bit about the plot of The Black Cauldron first. The film is about Taryn, who is an assistant pig keeper who wants to be a great warrior. Now when I say pig keeper, he's the pig keeper for a pig who has the ability to see things in the future, basically an oracle named Henwen. Henwen is captured by this evil guy called the Horn King, and the Horn King hopes that the pig will be able to show him where he can find the Black Cauldron, and the Black Cauldron has the power to summon an army of the dead. 
So losing the pig, Taryn is tasked with getting it back. He hooks up with a princess, a bard, a half-man, half-beast named Gurgi, and they travel through Pradain trying to find the Horn King and stop his evil plans. Along the way, they face elves, witches, all these great fantasy settings, and in the end, sacrifices are made and good triumphs over evil. Legend has it, there was once a king so cruel and so evil that the gods feared him. Since no prison could hold him, he was trapped forever in the form of a great black cauldron. The Horned King, that black-hearted devil. Walt Disney Pictures presents The Black Cauldron. Escape into a world of darkness. Are you coming? Me? Go in there? Oh, no, no, no. It's a terrible place. A world of excitement. <sighs> a world of dreams. Aaron, the greatest warrior of a hero. And through the magic of 70-millimeter photography and six-track Dolby sound, you will be transported to a fantasy event for the entire family. Look, look, sire, it's working. Soon the Black Cauldron will be mine. In the great tradition of Disney animated classics, now comes the newest Disney spectacle of them all, the Black Cauldron. So the two recycled scenes I'd like to talk about in the beginning of the film, Henwen is looking into a bowl of water to basically see what the Horn King is up to. And what you see in there right away is actually a scene from Fantasia from the section Night on Bald Mountain. Later on, when Tarrant is looking for Henwen in the Forbidden Forest, the animation from that was recycled from Sword in the Stone when Wart goes into the forest to retrieve an arrow. The animation in The Black Cauldron is top-notch. A lot of talented people worked on it. And the voice acting is also good. You had Grant Bardsley as Taron. Grant Bardsley worked for Black Cauldron, but the only credit I could find for him after The Black Cauldron is Monster Maker, where he played Ben. Susan Sheridan played Princess Ilanwi. Haley Mills was originally considered for the role, but Sheridan locked it down. Might be best known for her work as Naughty in Naughty's Toyland Adventures and as Trillian in the radio version of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Nigel Hawthorne played Flefter Flam, English actor, worked on some UK television. In the US, probably best known for his work on the movie The Madness of King George, where he played King George. John Biner did the voice of Gurgi and Dolly, American actor, impressionist comedian, worked on the cartoon series The Ant and the Aardvark, both voices done by him, based them on Dean Martin and Jackie Mason. John Hurt voiced the Horn King, multi-award nominated. Hurt played John Merrick in The Elephant Man, but has worked on a ton of movies, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, V for Vendetta, Midnight Express, Alien, the Hellboy series, the guy works. Freddie Jones voiced Dalbin, English character actor. If you're a fan of David Lynch's work, you probably recognize him. He's been in The Elephant Man, Dune, Wild at Heart. 
Arthur Mallet voiced King Idolig. Born in England, moved to the U.S., worked consistently, did a lot of TV. If you're a Disney fan, you probably recognize him as Mr. Dawes Jr. in Disney's Mary Poppins. Ada Reese Merrin played Ordu. I'll talk a little bit about the connection of this movie to Ghostbusters, namely through the music. But here's another little connection. Ada Reese Merrin played Lewis's neighbor in Ghostbusters. So, two connections to Ghostbusters. Adelaide Mellis Mori played Orwin. She was an award-nominated stage actress, probably best known for her work in The Black Cauldron, and of course, as Woman with Glasses in the film Doc Hollywood. Billy Hayes played Orgok. She is probably best known for her portrayal as Witchy Poo on the Sid and Marty Croft television series H.R. Puff and Stuff. She would also do voices for other animated series like The Further Adventures of Super Ted, Tailspin, and Darkwing Duck. Phil Fondacaro was Creeper, a little person actor. Fondacaro has the unique honor of being an Ewok in Return of the Jedi, and he's the Ewok that dies in Return of the Jedi, the only Ewok to have a death scene. The film was narrated by John Huston, American director, screenwriter, actor, wrote the screenplay for most of the movies he directed, Maltese Falcon, Key Largo, Asphalt Jungle, African Queen, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, The Man's a Legend. 15 Oscar nominations, two wins, father of actress Angelica Houston. After these messages, we will return. Inside this case is a real railroad. To your child, the Hot Wheels Railroad Freight Yard set is real. It runs on imagination, not electricity. The Hot Wheels Railroad Freight Yard set. To your child, it's real. Even if he can, fold it up and put it away. It's Mask, where illusion is the ultimate weapon. Mask, Boulder Hill play set with action figures. You put it together. Prepare for battle. This is no innocent gas station. Activate freeze ray. <laughs> Nobody stops the evil jackhammer. Vehicle sold separately with action figure. Oh, yeah? Boom. I'll sneak in another way. Hot talks. Sector. Surrender, prisoner. Mask. Boulder Hill playset. Vehicle sold separately. New from Kenner. And now, back to the show. So I mentioned a connection to Ghostbusters, and that is through the score of the film. Because the original score for The Black Cauldron was composed by Elmer Bernstein. And what makes the film unique is that it contains no songs. That is unusual for a Disney film. Now in the mid-early 80s, Bernstein was on a roll. He had done the score for Trading Places and Ghostbusters. In Ghostbusters, Bernstein used an instrument called the Ond. Martineau, or the Andium Martineau, which was an early electrical musical instrument, which has a very unique sound, and he would use that, but because of all that editing I was talking about earlier, much of his score was cut from the film entirely and unused, but the score would be re-recorded for an album release in 1985 by Verice Sarabande. It would be out of print for years, then in the mid-90s it would appear... Then just this year, a new 
remastered and expanded soundtrack was released by Disney. So if you're a fan of the music, you can get it once again. was released on July 26, 1985. It was up against some pretty stiff competition. European Vacation was in the theater, Back to the Future, E.T. the Extraterrestrial had been reissued, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, Cocoon, Silverado, Rambo First Blood Part 2, the movie that I did not go see, St. Elmo's Fire, and Pale Rider. All of them were out that week. With its estimated $44 million budget, Its first week, it would earn only $8.4 million, which was a disappointment to Disney, and the domestic total gross would only be $21.2 million. The dark tone of the film turned some people off, especially some parents, and the reviews were, I'd like to say, mixed. Some people thought it was good, some people thought it was bad. Most interestingly, Lloyd Alexander, the writer of the books, had something to say about it, and I'll just read his quote. First, I have to say there is no resemblance between the movie and the book. Having said that, the movie in itself, purely as a movie, I found to be very enjoyable. I had fun watching it. What I would hope is that anyone who sees the movie would certainly enjoy it, but I'd hope that they'd actually read the book. The book is quite different. It is a very powerful, very moving story, and I think people would find a lot more depth in the book. That is a very accurate statement from the author, and what I like is that he does not go after the movie and say it's just horrible. Because he was probably aware that to make a movie, you have to cut some stuff out. And you can't be as detailed in a movie as you are in a book. And I have, as an adult, read his book, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I wish I had read it when I was a kid. I think it's actually a good series for kids to read. And I would suggest anyone with a kid pick themselves up a copy. Very good. Very good reading. And I think that when they see the movie, they will enjoy that too. This would be the last Disney feature completed at the Walt Disney Studios in Burbank, California. The animation department would be moved to a Glendale facility in 1984 and would, after some restructuring, become a subsidiary of Walt Disney Studios. The hope was high for the Black Cauldron, and a Black Cauldron video game was designed and made by Al Lowe of Sierra Online and released in 1986. This was shortly after the first King's Quest game, and if you've played King's Quest, you'll recognize some of the elements from that game in this game. It sort of follows the plot of the movie, but they knew the movie was going to be made for children, so they tried to make the game more accessible to children. So, instead of a full text parser, you use the function keys to call up what you would normally type. So, if you wanted to look in your inventory, you would hit F3. These were shortcuts that allowed a kid to get into the game and play, and these are elements that would be later used in point-and-click adventures that would come later, including the King's Quest game, King's Quest Seven. I worked at a video store, and there are two Disney movies that everybody would come in to try to get a copy of. One was The Black Cauldron, and the other one is Song of the South. The Black Cauldron, it was rumored, was not released for two reasons. One, it's dark content, and two because it didn't do so well, and Disney didn't think it would do well on home video. Still, people kept requesting it, and in 1998, The Black Cauldron was released on VHS in a pan-and-scan transfer. 
in 2000, a DVD was released, and this was a letterboxed transfer. That's the version that has the Tim Burton extra material and also has a game called The Quest for the Black Cauldron and a great short that seems unrelated, Donald Duck's Trick or Treat. In 2010, Disney released a 25th anniversary edition of the movie, and this contained a brand new widescreen transfer, which looks great and also has a deleted scene. And this was really exciting because Disney does not have a lot of fully animated deleted scenes from its movies. And the deleted scene that's back in is The Fair Folk. There's also a game called The Witch's Challenge on the DVD. And all the extras that you found in the 2000 release are also present in this one. I can't say why The Black Cauldron wasn't a hit. I enjoyed it greatly at the time. I imagine it had to do with the ratings and the reviews that you were hearing and parents not wanting to have their kids in a PG film that they thought would scare them. I don't know. A lot of them had taken their kids to see a lot of other movies at the time. I can tell you this, when I saw Rambo First Blood Part 2, there was a lot of kids in that movie as well. Maybe it was just the stiff competition. It's summer. It's July. There's a lot of good movies out. E.T. was back out. It's a shame that The Black Cauldron wasn't a huge hit. I would have loved to have seen more of Perdane brought to the screen. Disney still owns the rights to the world of Perdane, and even though they have no plans to do anything with it, who knows what the future holds. For hardcore fans of the franchise who look at what Disney's doing with storytelling and animation now, it could be a very exciting future. In the meantime, there are some great books to turn yourself and your kids onto, so take a look at them. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist and twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear in the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. I was a kid. When I was a kid. What? This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.